Welcome in to another edition of Region Roundup. I'm James Boyd here with Mike Clark. I just restarted this podcast because I stuttered on the intro, but that was nice and smooth, right, Mike? It was, <laughs> and uh, it's very on brand for uh, 2020 to uh, have a little bit of a hiccup there for sure. So uh, the listeners didn't get to hear. Maybe when we do like our uh, our outtakes or director's <laughs> cut or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, the Criterion edition of uh, Region Roundup, then we can round up some of this uh, other stuff. But uh, let's get right to it. Um, and uh, I'm really... I'm really excited to talk about this first topic because you and I have been talking about this for since we started doing the podcast, basically. Um, and it's Jalen Washington's return. And uh, Jalen Washington, uh, national caliber prospect for Westside, made his return uh, in a really exciting game. Went over Michigan City on the road. Um, on Saturday night, you were there, but uh, you know we were talking actually just before uh, we started rolling. Here is that you know I feel sorry for Jalen, and I'm saying that because of this. Um, the expectations uh, for some fans of this kid are a little bit unrealistic at this point. He hasn't played essentially for two years, and. You know, some people are looking at his numbers, which, you know, were about what you would expect for his playing time. And it's like Chris Buggs wants Jalen Washington to be ready for the postseason. And he wants to wrap him up gradually because this is a special talent. This is a generational talent that we haven't seen for a while in the region, you know, possibly in Indiana. You know, who knows? We, we, he's just scratched the surface of how good he's going to be. Um, and again, you know, uh, my message to the folks, you know, who are wondering why he's not going for 20 and 20 or something like that is give the kid a break. Yeah. Um, he's getting back into playing again, you know, uh, with some other really good players, including Krishan Christmas, who's coming off an injury of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this, we've talked about this last year, you know, I mean, Westside was really good last year without him. Yeah. And uh, now Westside is back with, you know, basically a whole team of D1 talent, um, you know, which is a great thing um, for Hoops fans, uh, for region fans, uh, and it's good when teams in Gary are good because the energy, the electricity that you have in the gyms in the city of Gary are unmatched in a lot of places. Um, and that's why his return is so exciting. And I will let you, uh, you know, give us some of your impressions about that. Yeah, I mean, it was an overall great game. Um, Westside pulled it out 63-61. And like you said, the expectations on Jalen Washington are just astronomical. Um, You know, I heard some of the chatter like, oh, you know, he really didn't do anything. And why isn't he playing more? Isn't he healthy? There's one thing to be healthy. Another thing to be, like, in actual game shape. Like, yes, he's been training. Yes, he's been working out. But you you can't simulate game action until you're in the actual game. You know, so, uh, you know, he looked rusty. 
uh, you know, had a couple rebounds that he probably shouldn't have brought down. I'm sure, you know, every coach in America was probably thinking, you know, be big, keep the ball high and things like that. But just rusty little mistakes like that that you don't expect from a player of his caliber. And I'm sure he'll be fine. Um, it was just fun to see him. But one thing I did, I will say is he had a dunk in the fourth quarter, grabbed a rebound and just stuffed it back. And I was like, yeah, that that's like a flash of, you know, who, what he could be. And then he also let out a scream like, you know, it was kind of like a, a frustrated, you know, finally scored, finally made a good play moment for him. And, um, you know, like you said, it's you, you have to kind of root for a kid who hasn't played. And, you know, looking at my story that's on uh, our website, you can check out. You know, he hadn't played a game for Westside in 645 days. So, I mean, that's that's a ridiculous amount of days to not have played an actual, you know, game, you know, in high school. So, um, obviously, like I said, the expectations are high, and they should be. He's a five-star recruit with, you know, with offers from everywhere, you know, in the country pretty much. But, um, you know, I'd say just temper them for now and just keep an eye on Westside as the season progresses. Um, overall, in the game itself, he had six points, eight rebounds, and about 15 minutes of action. Um, so it wasn't a lot of action at all. Um, but, you know, being that big, he definitely adds some size to an already big Westside squad that, to me, um, similar to what they did against Michigan City, they can gut out a win when they didn't play very well. They missed a ton of easy shots around the rim, but when you have two guys that are 6'9", um, Jalen Washington and Mason Nicholson, um, it's pretty good for rebounding. And also, uh, Krishan Christmas, he flew in for a tip dunk at one point. He looked rusty as well. Um, the only player on their team that looked, that looked like he was ready was K- Kamari Peterson, who's been their guy you know, throughout his career. He's a senior. Um, he had 23 points and five threes. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a great game. I, I want, One thing I want to throw in here real quick is, uh, Mike Jamie Hodges Jr. at Michigan City, the sophomore guard, five foot nine. He is, you know, must see TV. Everyone told me last year he was a stud, and you know, because we had another reporter last year who covered Porter County, I never really got out to see him play in person. Um, but seeing him in person, it, it was lived up to the advertisement. He was phenomenal. He had 15 points in the fourth quarter, and uh, one thing I didn't get to put in my story because I was on such a tight deadline. Game started late, Saturday night deadline, whatever. Mike, he hit a deep three from the wing in the fourth quarter, but it was negated because Tom Wells from Michigan City called a timeout. So everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you called a timeout. This kid just hit this three. You know, you're in this back-and-forth game against arguably the best team in the area. You know, you want to spoil Jalen Washington's return, yada, yada, yada. And so, you know, he makes this three, and they call the timeout, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, what did you just do? And Jalen Jamie's, like, you know, mad at his coach, like, you know, you didn't believe in me, whatever. So... Um, literally right after the timeout, they throw the ball in, and he shot another 30-footer, and it went in. So he got it right back, Mike. Like, literally, I'm like, this kid has guts. Um, you know, he ended up getting a shot, having a three-pointer come up short at the buzzer. Um, it, was, it was well contested, about the only well contested shot that they had because he was shooting so deep. So, I mean, it, it, to me, you know, if he plays like that, he, he could be arguably the best guard, you know, you know, smaller guard in, in the area. But that was, uh, that was fun to see. Yeah, and uh, you know it's great to see high school basketball back. Yeah. And it was uh, my birthday. It was a perfect gift, in my opinion. So, I know. Yeah, James, congrats on uh, twenty-five trips around the sun, um, and uh, looking ahead to many more for sure. And that was not the only big game of the weekend nope. because Crown Points girls. Um, who were on pause for a while, came back, uh, 
and a huge matchup with Penn, um, two of the top three teams in the state um, last week, top two teams in the state in this week's rankings. And uh, I will give you a little bit of a spoiler. Penn is number one uh, in this week's rankings, but the head-scratcher there is that Penn lost to Crown Point, and I don't even know what to say about that. This is which is association rankings, um, you know, and it's uh, wrong. I mean, uh, we don't have to do comparative scores. We don't have to look at, uh, you know, who's back and who's gone. We saw it right there on the court. And Crown Point actually got a lot more first place votes too. And the only way the math adds up is that some people apparently left Crown Point off their ballots, which is just even crazier than them being right behind Penn. So um, I know you've uh, got a little bit on that game and, uh, you know, and it's just, and, and I don't want to sound like a region homer, um, but, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen it before where people downstate do not give credit to folks from the region, even when they're going up against other teams from Northern Indiana, which Penn obviously is. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, my guess is that Chris Siebert will say, well, you know, it doesn't matter now. You know, it matters who wins, you know, in February, basically, which is the truth. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, fodder for fans and Twitter and everything like that. But, uh, you know, still a great win for Crown Point. Yeah, I mean, they're 6-0 on the season. Um, probably Lily Stoddard's best game, the Purdue commit. Uh, I believe she had something crazy like seven blocks and block one at the buzzer them to win i'll have more on that in our newspaper this week i know i caught some heat for not covering that game saturday um that was my fault i'll admit that i did not check the schedule as good as i should have i kind of glossed over it um which is why we didn't have a stringer um at crown point for that game i apologize for that but uh one thing i do want to say is, is people were kind of like saying like oh you know girls cover girls basketball doesn't get the coverage it deserves and you know everything everything's boys 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 and Regardless of if I had been aware or even if I had remembered that that game was happening with Crown Point and Penn, I still would have gone to see Jalen Washington because, in my opinion, that's the bigger story. Um, you know, he hadn't played in over two years. He's a five-star prospect, best player in the state, you know, on paper. So I still would have gone to that game. But like I said, I would have definitely tried to get someone else out to cover it. Um, you know, I'll make up. I'll try to make up for it with something written about it this week in our girls' basketball notes. But, um, yeah, I'm doing the best I can, people. So... It gets a little crazy sometimes, and I definitely do not want to make it seem like it's a slight against Crown Point. I love basketball, no matter if it's girls, boys, men's, women's, kids, teenagers, you know, whatever, my beloved Illini, whatever it is, I'll watch it. So um, I'll have more on that. And, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous to see that they were ranked, you know, behind Penn, you know, having just played them. I think that was the biggest thing that that kind of, you know, takes away from what I was thinking, like, wow, this is – you know, this literally just happened. You know, you, usually we look at rankings, you're like, oh, this, this team will beat this team. And you have opinions on that when it literally just happened and a team just beat another team. I mean, how do you not rank them ahead of them? Especially when you look at the, the talent that they have. They had, you know, you have Division One talent on both sides. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't like some player was out because of injury or COVID-19. They had all their players available. And, um, you know, the better team won, you know, in my opinion. So one thing I do want to note real quick is that they did avenge their loss um, to Penn last year. Um, they, Crown Point had a season ended by Penn in the regional semifinal, um, and obviously that stung a lot. So I'm sure it probably, 
you know, felt good for Crown Point and the Bulldogs to kind of get, you know, get, get some uh, revenge back a little bit. Obviously, it pays more to win in the postseason, but until that happens, and if that happens, you know, with everything going on, um, you know, they got their rematch and they got the dub. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is all in good fun. You know, we we do like to stir the pot a little bit. Um, you're known for doing that as well, James. Oh, of as, course. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, in, you know, in terms of, you know, you can only be in one place. And, uh, you know, rest assured, CP fans, uh, girls basketball fans, James will have your back the rest of the season. So um, there's a lot of basketball to be played, hopefully. Uh, and uh, James will be out to see a lot of it. So that being said, uh, segueing to something a little bit different, uh, and I believe this is going to be the first appearance in the podcast <laughs> uh, for eSports, um, I was able to uh, talk to a few folks over at Purdue Northwest last week for my column that uh, ran in Friday's paper. Please check it out, folks, um, on Twitter or on our website. And uh, Purdue Northwest uh, just started an esports uh, team. It's their 14th varsity sport. Um, and it's interesting, to, of course, to start this in a pandemic they hired their coach justin bragg actually in march right when everything was kind of uh, popping obviously um he has kind of an interesting pedigree james you'll appreciate this he's an illini like we are there you go. uh t- 2014 grad so um just a little bit older than you but uh he started an esports program at Illinois College, which is a small private school downstate Illinois in Jacksonville. Um, started that from scratch. Uh, took them uh, to uh, a very successful level of competition over three years. Was hired again in March uh, by P and W, um, and was able to actually recruit a team and put a schedule together. Um, for those of you who may not know like I didn't uh, the spring is actually uh, it's, it's, esports is actually a spring sport in college um, which is interesting because of course I guess it really doesn't matter you know because you're competing um, indoors anyway but it is a spring sport they did have a brief exhibition season on September and October uh, they beat Wichita State in a couple of matches and they lost to North Carolina uh, which is kind of cool you know, apart from everything else, that they're competing against these big name D1 schools as well. Um, but it was cool to talk to, uh, to Justin Bragg, uh, to Rick Costello, the Purdue Northwest Athletic Director, um, who gave me a little bit of perspective about why they did this. Um, there's a couple of numbers out there. It's a growing sport. Are, it, it is a growing yeah. sport. There's like 200 programs nationally. Um, in college, and there are about 40 programs actually among high schools in the state of Indiana. Um, and the Purdue Northwest, though, is the first public university in Indiana to start an esports program. So they've got some local kids, and they've got uh, kids all the way out to uh, New Jersey, actually. And that's been one of the tough things is that obviously everything's uh, competing virtually. Usually, the way they do it is. Uh, they do compete um, live uh, in person, and the schools that have this uh, 
program uh, have basically have what they call esports arenas, um, and that's where the competitions are usually held. Uh, this year, of course, because of the pandemic, they were virtual. Um, the the competitors from Purdue Northwest, where you know we're sitting at home, or you know. Uh, competing um, online uh, against people, you know, who were literally all over the country, Wichita and uh, and Chapel Hill, obviously. But uh, just getting the program off the ground um, in this year is kind of cool. Um, They're going to be competing in the spring again. And one of the other things that I learned about this um, is that it's a little bit unlike, you know, some other sports where the schedules are kind of set you know, way in advance. Um, for sports, the schedules are, you know, kind of pulled together a little bit uh, closer to the actual time of competition. And even this year, it's even more so going to be that way because, you know, nobody really knows um, how all this is going to work out, although they probably will be competing virtually uh, for the spring semester. And they're hoping to be back live again uh, for the 2021-2022 school year. But anyway, uh, all kind of cool um and something that's really, uh, you know, is, is really taken off. Um, so this is something that, uh, you know, people from the region can take part in. I talked to Felix Becerra. I'm sorry, Felix Barrera uh, is uh, one of the members of the team that I talked to. He's from Munster. He competed on uh, Munster's eSports team. So um, that is, uh, you know, like I said, kind of a cool thing that's getting started here. And, uh You know, I, I, my next family gathering post COVID nineteen, and when you know the vaccine is here and everything's safe, my first topic will be, you know, I'll be on the side of esports is a sports, you know, is a sport, you know, and that will definitely <laughs> rile everyone up in my family who you know is the macho man and play football, or basketball, or box it or whatever. You know, I, I'm gonna bring up that esports is a sport, and I'm gonna just watch the room just engulf in flames. Um, everyone arguing, and, 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 and you know what, Mike? I'm gonna enjoy it and laugh because I will have I've missed those things so much. You know, with my my goat debates and things like that. But that'll be the next one. You know, you have inspired me with with your column, and I will bring up the numbers that you have provided in your column as well, and we'll get the ball rolling with that. You know, as soon as it's safe to do so again. <laughs> oh, and uh, I will be looking forward to hearing the reports because uh, for those of you. You may not engage with James on Twitter. First of all, why not? Um, Romeo, at Romeo Will Kid, please you know follow him. And uh, if you have opinions about the NBA and would like to put them out there, please be prepared to back up your opinions with facts because James will fact check you mercilessly. Uh, and uh, he will for tell spelling you, uh, Michael Jordan's name right as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, follow his timeline. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, moving on to our next topic, though. Uh, it's the weekly COVID update, and we have some good news to report today. Yeah, so Whiting is, is back practicing. Um, called this, uh, the, uh, the superintendent today. The news they were scheduled to come back to class, like in a mid, like a, a hybrid type of learning model. And I wondered if that would affect, um, you know, uh, prep sports which had been on hold and uh, she confirmed from me Cynthia Scroggins that they will um, you know they have resumed uh, practices and things like that now it just remains to be seen 
you know, when uh, the girls and boys and girls and boys basketball seasons will resume, and also I believe swimming as well. So um, that was some good news. I mean, I've written so many stories about programs stopping. I actually called today to see if Crown Point boys had stopped, but it turns out they didn't play against Penn. Um, you know, this past Saturday because Penn had COVID-19 issues, so they'll be good to go for their game tomorrow against EC Central. So again, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, I think I told somebody the other day, I'm, you know, 44 boys basketball programs, 43 girls basketball programs. Uh, Hammond Academy of, of Science and Technology does not have a girls basketball program at the varsity level, by the way, so everyone knows why the numbers are off. But I mean, that's, you know, 80 plus programs I'm trying to keep track of. And um, there's a lot, you know, that goes on every single day, every hour, but again, it was good to report back and tell people like, hey, you know, they're going to start playing and we'll see, um, you know, what, what that means for their season and, and just the excitement that I'm sure those seniors especially have to know that they'll be able to compete again, hopefully without, you know, too many hiccups going forward. Yeah, and of course, you know, we were recalling Whiting was the last team to resume football. Yeah. Um, so those seniors in particular have had, uh, you know, kind of a rough uh, school year, but glad to have them back. Um, and speaking of football, uh, wow, that was a pretty good segue that I was not even planning on. But uh, we have uh, some big uh, state football news, um, and I will let you take that away. Yeah, so the biggest state football news, and I'll have more on this in, in an article that will be up probably the same time around when this podcast gets posted online. Um, you know, the biggest news is that they had the, the Mr. Football finalists were announced today. And of the 10, we have two from the region. We have Cooper Jones, uh, who was the defensive lineman of the year. Um, and then we also have uh, Bobby Babcock from Hobart, who is a linebacker of the year. Um, obviously, Cooper Jones from Valpo, for those of you who've been under a rock. Um, he's committed to IU. And um, Bobby Babcock is committed to Illinois State. Both had phenomenal seasons. I think the one thing that sticks out to me for both is that for Cooper, he had an outstanding season um, despite, you know, playing in significantly less games than his counterparts that are on this, you know, uh, Mr. Football finalist list. And then for Bobby, um, him and Hobart were able to make some, you know, some pretty cool history of making it back to state for the first time since 1996. Uh, came up short, but just an overall, you know, reinvigorating year for that, that town and that program. Those are, uh, you know, two big, you know, big accomplishments to be named the finalists for Mr. Football and, you know, to be on the defensive side of the ball doing it. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I know some felt that JoJo Johnson got overlooked or got slighted. Um, don't worry about it. He's going to Notre Dame. So he has a very, very bright future and have plenty of opportunities to prove everyone wrong at the next level. But, um, yeah, I'm excited about that. I just talked to both players um, for this story, which, I, again, will be out um, pretty soon. And, and it's just a... a Another way to kind of cap off a really great year of football in the region, you know, among so much, you know, craziness, you know, it's pretty cool that these two guys, two seniors were able to, you know, end their career on a high note and just stay tuned as well for all area, which is being compiled as we speak. I won't give you, you know, I won't let you, won't let you know when it's coming out because then everyone's going to be like, you know, chomping at the bit. But when it's out, you know, I, I welcome any and all inquiries about, you know, our selections. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I wanted to finish up tonight, um, tonight as we're recording this, um, with uh, a little uh, history, uh, basically. Um, and I, James and I kind of go over before we uh, start talking about what we're going to talk about. And I'm gonna actually going to uh, 
call an audible here. Um, I've got uh, a couple of guys, a couple of men, uh, you know, who are just absolute um, icons in the city of Chicago. And uh, I want to talk about just a little bit here. Um, One of them is Dick Allen. And uh, I'm 62 years old. So when I was a kid, White Sox fan, Southsider, um, some really tough times early on in my fandom because the White Sox were not very good at the end of the 60s and into the early 70s. 1972, Dick Allen comes to town and has uh, an MVP year, officially an MVP year. He was named the American League MVP that year, almost won the Triple Crown. Uh, and it was a year of not very much hitting, uh, but he was just... He, you know, it's hard to describe if you know for those you know who are too young to have seen him play. But I mean, he could do it all. Um, he could run. He could hit for power. He could hit for average. Um, you know, and there was one game uh, that he had two inside the park home runs at Minnesota. You know, which is quite a feat as you can imagine in a major league game to hit two inside the park home runs in one game. Um, but he just really brought a level of excitement uh, to Chicago. Um, you know, and at that time, it was such a Cubs town, um, you know, because the Sox were just not very good, you know, in the years before that. But they wound up finishing second in their division last that year to the A's um, and just, just brought a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, enthusiasm, you know, really reinvigorated the fan base. And uh, one of the cool things that's actually had happened had happened recently is that Dick Allen took to Twitter and uh, you know when uh, the Sox obviously had a great season this year you know uh, Jose Abreu winning the MVP and uh, from one MVP to another Dick Allen was congratulating Jose Abreu which was really kind of cool reaching across the generations Uh, but Dick Allen passed away today he was 78 years old Um, and uh, really uh, you know uh, it's a sad day. I mean, you know, we've had so many of these in 2020. I mean, you know, I don't even know what to say about that. You know, it's just like another another gut punch to a lot of us. Um, but the other gentleman that I really want to talk about uh, real quick here, um, and uh, if you have to watch the uh, Chicago TV news, you'll probably see him on. Uh, his name is Tamuel Black. Um, he turned 102 today, um, and he is uh, just one of the giants of the American Civil Rights Movement. Um, he's the Chicago guy, um, and he's, uh, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia bio right now. He's listed as a social worker, educator, civil rights activist, and historian, and uh, I was very lucky the White Sox have one of the really cool things that uh, they do every year is uh, they host a game, uh, a game for uh, high school age kids called the Double Duty Classic, and that's named for another um, Chicago legend, Double Duty Radcliffe, who got that nickname because he caught the first game of a doubleheader and he would pitch the second game of a doubleheader back in the Negro League days. But um, every year when they do the Double Duty Classic, uh, the White Sox bring in people. Um, and they have like a symposium for the kids who are playing in the game and they invite the media in to, to hear about um, 
the civil rights movement and the intersection of the civil rights movement and athletics in particular. Um, they've had Negro League or former Negro League players there in the past who I was able to see. Vinny Minoso was there, the former White Sox great. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Like Dick Allen should be in the Hall of Fame. Neither one of them are. That's another discussion for another day. I could go on forever about that. But anyway, uh, Dr. Tim Ewell Black Jr., um, you know, and James, I don't know how to really explain this, but I mean, again, he's 102 years old. Um, so born on December 7th, 1918. And he, you know, told us all about um, what it was like um, in the days of segregation, the days of Jim Crow, in the days of the Negro Leagues, and brought it to perspective. And when I saw him, you know, this is probably about seven or eight years ago, so he was 94, 95 then. Um, just absolutely um, a spellbinding speaker. Um, you know, just telling us these stories that he saw. He lived these things. You know, this is this this is stuff of history books, but it wasn't history to him. It was his life. Yeah, you know? uh, and uh, and this was so. You know, and again, you know, there's a, they did a drive-by birthday party for him today. And again, if you watch the TV news, I, I happen to watch on Channel Five tonight. And I guess I'm realizing, you know, this is may not be up tonight in time. But in any case, you can probably catch it. You know, uh, looking back for YouTube clips or anything like that. But just check him out, Timuel Black Jr. Again, you know, just you, God bless us. He's still around. You know. Uh, Yeah, just to piggyback off that, fun fact for all of you who don't know, um, I had the chance to interview Tamil Black one-on-one -on -one at my church uh, two years ago, I believe. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> okay. Th that's kind of funny how it all came together. Like, I've, I've literally sat down. I'm looking at the pictures right now. I'll send you the link, Mike, you can see the pictures of me talking to him. My mom is on the Black History Committee at my church, and um, a couple years ago, um, might have been last year, and I'm thinking about it. Um, and she and, and the committee set up this interview with him and you know me being the journalist's son uh she called on me to interview him and um it was an awesome experience i talked to him about all sorts of things um you know his youth his time with martin luther king jr um the way he sees the world today and the and the the, the reason he took a stand and the reason why he carried himself the way he did and it was awesome um you know it was funny because you know, at the time, I believe I was 22 or 23. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to a guy who's lived for, you know, for a century. So um, it was like talking to a real life history book, uh, a moment I won't forget and a moment that I'm sure, uh, you know, that my family was proud of. I think my mom was really proud just because she got a chance to, um, you know, have him come in and speak. But I guess from a personal standpoint, she you know, really wants me to have great examples in my life um, beyond just my family. So having a chance to talk to him even beyond just the interview I did in public, but talking to him backstage and talking to his family and his wife and things like that. It was uh, it was awesome, man. It was a really, you know, eye opening experience and one that I won't forget just because, um, like you said, he's seen so much. And, um, you know, you'd be surprised. I guess my advice to everyone out there. And what people have told me in the past is, you know, for anybody in your family, the elders, ask them about their childhood, ask them about what they went through, ask them about what they grew up in, just because you'd be surprised at what, you know, you'll find out. So that was a really cool experience. Um, looking at these pictures, Mike, this is, it's eerie because everyone's there, maskless, and 
You know, so I'm standing <laughs> right next to this guy and laughing and joking and, you know, hopefully we'll get back to those times soon. But like you said, icon guy and, and someone that everyone should definitely, you know, read up about and learn more about just because he is that living legend. And one thing I also would like to mention, too, he was a decorated World War II hero. Um, uh, he received four battle stars among um, his other awards. And again, it's just like, folks, you know, um, read up about him. Um, and again, there's, you know, there's videos of him out there. And again, the fact that he is still with us in 2020 um, is just a remarkable thing at 102 years old, um, you know, has made such a difference. Um, just again, uh, in terms of telling his story and sharing his story with so many people like yourself, um, you know, you were fortunate enough to have a one-on-one -on -one with him. I didn't have a one-on-one -on -one with him, but I was able to, you know, be in the same room with him and, uh, and hear his comments too. So, um, that's a great thing, and uh, I think that is it for us this week. Um, and as always, uh, mask up, keep your distance, uh, and help us get through this tough time. Um, and we will see you, hear you, talk to you next week. And thanks a lot for listening.